Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll be finishing up this chapter today. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse number... 32. Chapter switches gears at this point. It says in verse 32, And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda, and he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto Aeneas, Jesus Christ, make it thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he rose up immediately. And all that dwelt in Lydda and, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, that's the the Greek name. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that, that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while uh, she was with them. But Peter put them all, all forth and kneeled down and prayed. Turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. She saw Peter. She sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, please fill me with your spirit, Lord, and I pray that you would bless, that you would use your word to help us, to draw us closer to you, to meet needs that are here. Lord, so please work on hearts and lives. Lord, control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not truly know Christ as Savior, we certainly do pray for their salvation, that they repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, again, help me to stay true to your word, focused on it, Lord, and, to, and, and that you would work. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For the most part in the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters have dealt with Peter. You could almost call them the Acts of Peter, with few exceptions within these, the first 12 chapters of it. Then the last 13 through 28 deal with the Apostle Paul. You could almost call them the Acts of Paul. Now, chapter 9 was an interlude to that. We have, we, so far in chapter 9, we have looked at this man, Saul, who would become Paul. We have looked at his conversion. And as we finished up, he was, went to Jerusalem, if you remember, but can only stay there a, a brief time, meets uh, with Peter and James, but again, he's under threat and he has to leave, he heads out. And from this point on, it picks up with Peter. The attention turns back to Peter. Again, he has met Saul, um, And Peter now begins this circuit here of traveling through these different quarters. 
And the life of Peter is always interesting. He's an example of man who truly changed um, when he found Christ and when he became filled with God's Spirit. He is the example of what can happen to a person when they are filled with the Spirit of God. Um, he is sort of, he, he is the example of what we can learn from Peter, the both sides of the Christian life, if you will. You can learn what not to do as a Christian and learn what to do as a Christian when you look at the life of Peter. He really is an incredible man. He is a great example. We're going to use him as an example here in this text. When Peter was with the Lord on the earth during the three years of ministry, there was much the Lord had to work on Peter's life. Uh, he, he was a leader, that was clear. And he maintains his leadership throughout all of his years of ministry. But this was a man the Lord had to change. This was a man where the Lord had to do a great work on his life. This was a man who, prior to the day of Pentecost, acted out of emotion. That's what he did. He couldn't control his emotions. When something happened, emotion took over. He did not have the ability to check it. I mean, he gets the sword out ready to rip the guy. He wasn't going for the ear. Remember that. He wasn't. This is the same man who rebuked God in the flesh to the face when he talked about his death. And what did the Lord call him? Get thee behind me, Satan. That's a good compliment to get from the Lord, isn't it? But this was a man who had to change. The Lord knew that. This is the same man who ended up denying the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And remember what the Lord told him prior to that. It's key. Peter, when thou art converted, pray for thy brother. He knew a conversion was coming, not of salvation. Peter has already knows this is the Messiah. His faith is completely in that. But there was another conversion that was needed in his life. And, of course, that night that he betrayed the Lord, and I'll probably refer to it a little bit later, how important it was in his life. Outside of his salvation, and perhaps, of course, the day of Pentecost, but that was coming upon all, all apostles, so on, on, on a personal level, or all those, all those Christians, for that matter. Uh, uh, but on a personal level with Peter, I don't believe there was a more important day in his life, besides salvation, what happened the night he denied Christ. He knew he no longer... He knew without a shadow of a doubt the strength that he thought he had, he does not have. When he told the Lord, I'm ready to die for you, Peter believed it. But he was wrong. He was wrong. This is the same guy. Think about what he did. And I'm going to be getting into this because it fits with our text with the word saint. This is the guy who was, was allowed to see the transfiguration take place up on the mountain. I mean, incredible. And what does Peter say we need to do? Let's make some graven images. <laughs> he, he, would, he would so often speak before he thought. He acted out of emotion. But again, after the day of Pentecost, listen, this is a different man. Don't think the Lord can't change you. So often, we just identify with our faults and you stay in that rut. That's what you do. But the Lord can change you. We see that here with Peter. We see a man in Peter who is truly transformed. The rashness is gone. Acting out of emotion is gone. We see a man who understood, and this is key in our life, the power of his own flesh. 
This is the man who gets to preach at Pentecost. This is the man that the Lord uses to perform that first miracle of the apostles at the temple. Which was just incredible. In our text today, we have the same man, Peter. The focus turns back to him, and he performs two miracles that are incredible. The healing of the man who was paralyzed for about eight years. And then, for the first time, we have an apostle who raises somebody from the dead. Amazing. So how I want to use this text today, we're going to stay true to it. We're going to go through it like I always do. But boy, with Peter, we have such an example. We can see right here, and you're going to see it as clear as day, key reasons, not all the reasons, but key reasons why God did use Peter. You see things here that are given to us in this text of why the Lord said, this is the man I'm going to use. And I want us to see that today. I put it down, if you want to write these down real quick, for those who do it, and I'll explain them as we go through it. We're going to look at four different things here from Peter's life within these two miracles. We're going to look at opportunity, availability, humility, and flexibility. All we're going to see are key for God to using us as we serve Him. First off, opportunity. Let's look at that first miracle. Verse number 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters... He came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. We see here Peter performing this miracle. Peter has put himself in a place where God can put opportunities right before him. He's in a place where the Lord can do just that. Peter begins to travel out. He's going through the quarters. In other words, he's going through Judea, Galilee, Samaria. He's traveling. The the Christians have been scattered due to the persecution, but again, we've just entered a time of rest from the mass persecution that was taking place. We ended with that last week. So there's a time of rest due to, of course, the conversion of, of, of Saul, of course, but also a major political event that was taking place in Jerusalem that caused the Jewish leadership to no longer focus on the Christians. And so Peter now travels out, and and, and what I like about Peter, and I'll get to this when I get to humility, you know, we see him preaching to the thousands at Pentecost, but here he's traveling out just to find the small group of believers. So he's coming through this way that he's traveling, and it's interesting that almost the same route he's taking is what the Bible just described, how they got Saul out of town when he went to Caesarea, and then got on the boat and went to Tarsus. So it's very likely that just prior to this, Saul had passed through this area. And so now Peter comes. The first town he hits, Lydda, was also a town we have in the Old Testament. It was not called Lydda, it was called Lod back then. It was situated on the road between Jerusalem and Caesarea, about 10 or 12 miles from Joppa. The other miracle is going to be in Joppa. They're about 10 miles apart from each other, is where it's located. Um, by the Greeks, it had a Greek name, which the Greek name basically meant city of Jupiter. So there would have been obviously some type of temple there in that place um, to, that, to that false god. So Peter is coming there to try and visit with the saints who would be there. 
Now, let's talk about this. Look at that. Look, look, what, look what Peter says here. It's, it's brought up t- twice in this text, so I want to address it because I think it's needed. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, that he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, it's clear, contextually speaking, throughout all of the New Testament, the word saint refers to all Christians. All. When I grew up, that's not what I was taught. When I grew up Catholic, we had a hierarchy of super-Christians who, if they met certain criteria, were venerated, were canonized, if you will, because of, and they had criteria, I can't remember what they were, but they had certain criteria they had to meet, and they were given sainthood. Was that scriptural? It's not. You don't see this anywhere. Matter of fact, I can quote from one of, one, one of the books of theology that allows this to take place within that church. I'm going to quote their own teachings from it. Um, let me see, where do I have that? <clears throat> Um, let me jump down here. Yes, this is from Ludwig Ott's book, Dealing with This Issue Within Catholic Theology. It's a book they used to teach from. Here's what he's going to quote from. It is profitable to venerate the saints in heaven. Now get this, he goes on, that's, that's not profitable. And invoke their intercession. He says, Holy Scripture does not explicitly refer to the veneration and invocation of saints. In other words, he's admitting what I'm teaching I can't find in Scripture. That's what he just admitted. When it comes to us being saints, there are no other saints above any other saints. The word is referring to something positionally in Christ every single time, not a spiritual condition we have in Christ. It's dealing with our position that we receive because of salvation. That is equal among all believers. Spiritual condition, we can vary. You could have some who are strong spiritually and some who are weak spiritually. But the word saint is not referring to a spiritual condition. It's referring to a position that we have been given in Christ as a result of conversion. See, the problem is, although they might claim to canonize them, if you will, but God does not. All Christians are saints. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Oh, yes, it is because it gets worse. Let's go to the Nicene Council in 787. Let's see where this doctrine ended up going. The Council of Nicaea said, I'm quoting from a source here, they could worship images of the saints, and so the Catholic Church has these images, which if you grew up in that, you know they're there. You would see them in the church. You would see them on the dashboard of your car, wouldn't you? Because they have saints as sign for different needs you might have. And why are they there to remind you? Because what could you do to them? You could pray. You could pray. Because God is so busy. You can see where it was going with it. See, the problem with this, with these images that they have now created, is is simply, and it's so obvious. Exodus 20, verse 4, "Thou Thou shalt have no graven images. A council can't change the authority of the Word of God. You just can't use semantics and say, well, we don't count this as a graven images. You don't get to define it. You don't. You just can't say, well, to us, this is not a graven image. The question is not, to you, is it a graven image, but does it define the biblical standard of one? And of course it does. So, we have it referred to a couple of times here. As they traveled, what did Peter and, we're going to see with Paul as well, what did they look for as they traveled? They looked for the saints. 
They weren't looking for super Christians. They were looking for those who were converted. That's what the word means. Do you understand? This is our authority. Right here. Not a council. This is it. If, if, if we as a church, we have our own council, let's say. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to have our own church council, and we want to we we get clarity on certain doctrines. If we come up with anything contrary to this book, that means nothing what we just did. We're simply wrong. So Peter here, he finds a man, Aeneas. We don't know what happened to him, but obviously eight years prior to this, something happened to this man where he had some form of paralysis that hit him. Peter sees him. Now, usually when it says this, let me point this out as well with the wording in Scripture. You're going to notice how it addresses him. He said he found a certain man. Now, let's, let's drop down real quick to verse 36. He found a certain disciple named Tabitha. So, so when you see that, when it's dealing with a certain man or a certain person, usually that means that person is not converted. Whereas here, you can see Tabitha was a person who was converted. So Peter is given this opportunity. He comes up upon, uh, upon this certain man, which more than likely means he was not converted as of yet. And then we see this healing that takes place. Christ tells this man, right in the verse, incredible statement. I'm going to come back to this one even a little bit later. Aeneas, Jesus Christ, make it thee whole. Arise, make thy bed, and he arose up immediately. Now, some think the greatest miracle here was a man making his bed, that that's what really took the power of God. What that phrase means is, it, is, it does add to the miracle when he's telling him this. When, when Peter tells him, make up thy bed, it means it's complete. You're not coming back to this. This is a complete, perfect miracle. It's done. It's done. And you can just imagine all those that they, they knew of this man in this town. Eight years he had been in this condition. He, the man obeys. He rises up. Just incredible. As a result, multitudes come to know Christ. And as you know, Peter, being an apostle, had the ability to heal. He was an apostle. He had this miracle power to authenticate the message. There was no complete revelation of the word of God yet. And also, we see the benefits of it with multitudes coming to know Christ. But what we see here, what I, the point I want to drive this miracle is that Peter was given this opportunity. But why? What put Peter in a position to have this opportunity? It's because Peter was going. He was serving. He, he's, he, he's on the way. He knew. He's in Jerusalem. Listen, we have rest right now. I can head out. I, I, I need to go check on the other believers and see what's taking place. He was busy. He was involved. Do you know that's usually the case? Think about it. For those of us who have been saved, say, five years or more, we all recognize that it's usually those who are involved that the Lord ends up grabbing. That the opportunities come. If you want the opportunities, get involved. You know what the Lord presents then? Opportunities. Opportunities. If Peter's not... It reminds you of... There was a text, I'm not going to go there for time's sake, in Genesis... 24, I might be wrong about that, is where whenever Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for Isaac. You know, those are familiar with that book of Genesis know what I'm talking about. I think that's Genesis 24. I don't know. So he goes out, and of course, he finds her right away. 
And he makes this statement, though, just when he's just so excited over what God just did. He said, as I was in the way. He was simply being obedient. And the opportunity hit. That's what you do. Do you understand? Opportunities are from the Lord. It wasn't a coincidence that Peter came across him. Peter was given this opportunity. Put yourself in a place to be used, both physically and spiritually for that matter. Now, number two, availability. Let's look at the next miracle. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lida was nigh to Joppa, uh, the disciples had heard that Peter was there and sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter rose, went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows, widows, widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth. He put them out. And he kneeled down and prayed. And, turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Let's stop there. We see another reason here why Peter was used of God. And that was availability. That was availability. This is the second miracle here in the text he performs. It obviously is incredible. Raising a young woman from the dead. Joppa is about 10 miles from its current location. It's, it's a coastal town. Um, it's about 30 miles now from Caesarea. And anyhow, so there's a woman there with the believers who are there, with a small church who is there named Tabitha. Greek name was Dorcas. It means gazelle. It was common, especially at this time, that to a, a beautiful young woman, they would give a name that was similar to an animal. It wasn't like a, the thing that came to my mind as, as I'm reading this was we used to do in the 80s. If in, when you're in middle school, if you thought a girl was pretty, you called her a fox. Same thing here. Not, not anything different. It was a name assigned like that. And so this is who she is. Um, and she has died. This woman has died. We don't know why. But we know this. The Bible says she was full of good deeds. She's a believer. She is converted. She's a disciple trying to follow Christ. And as a result, her life is full of good deeds. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, we were created unto good works. She also does alms deeds. This means she did things for the widows and for the poor. So this is an active woman who's trying to serve however she can. But she dies. And as was the first custom, they washed the body. But what they did next is not customary. They put her in an upper chamber. That was a little different. Usually because of the lack of embalming, and it was rare to embalm, the burials would take place very quickly. But they put her in an upper chamber. They hear that Peter is down in Lydda, which is only 10 miles away. So they send two men, please, go tell Peter we need him now to come up here. Now, the Bible does not tell us why they sent for him. It's obviously it's only, only two things I think are possible. Uh, and I think both are likely in a sense. The first is, they were going to have the funeral. Peter's there. Let's bring Peter in for the funeral. 
Let's, let's get Peter. Let's bring him in. Um, he can encourage us. This was, this was a key person in their church. This was somebody who was active, who was working, who was helping, who was serving. It was somebody, as we're going to see, people were dependent upon. And the Lord took her. And so, and so they send for Peter. It's either to come and preach the funeral, if you will. Or maybe they did have the thought. We know what the Lord did. We know the Lord rose three people from the dead. It doesn't say that, but that certainly is a possibility because of where they placed the body. But I'm not certain. So, as soon as the men come, they find Peter, and Peter goes immediately. He travels with him. They head up to Joppa. He goes right up to the upper chamber. When he gets up there, all the widows are crying. They're weeping. And they begin to show Peter, look, their coats. Look what she made. She made this. She made inner and outer garments. The long coats, as well as the other garments upon the body. And they're showing, look what he made. Look what she made. She did this. She did this. The widows are weeping. They knew this was a person who helped take care of the widows in the church. Peter, much like Christ did when he witnessed Christ do a, a, a similar miracle, and I love it, he clears the room out. He says, I need everybody to leave. Just head out. Let me in here alone. He follows the example that he saw in Jesus Christ. And all the ladies, they leave. The Bible says, then Peter prays to the Lord. He finishes her prayer and then he calls unto Tabitha. Calls her to arise. Her eyes open. She sees Peter. She raises up. You could just imagine right there. I mean, the deacon, she's probably dead 24, 36 hours. Probably somewhere in that neighborhood is, is, is the likelihood of how long she has been dead. So a measure of, of decomposing has already begun. And, that, and of course, that reversed immediately. She opens her eyes and she sees Peter. And I'm sure Peter said, I'm Peter. And she probably said, what in the world are you doing this for? <laughs> She had to be with the Lord prior to this. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She opens her eyes. She sees Peter. And then you can just imagine the rejoicing as Peter now calls in all the saints. They come in. And they see her alive. Just an incredible miracle here takes place. You could just imagine all that was taking place, the rejoicing, how fast the news spread, how it also led to others coming to know Christ once again. And Peter, Peter too, although it gives no indication of it, Peter just, you can just imagine where Peter's mind is in all this. It's the first time Peter's ever done anything like this. But what do we learn from Peter in this? The point I want to drive out from this was Peter was available. He had availability. When those men came and said, listen, we need you to come to Joppa, the man was available. He left. He went with them right away. One, com one commentator said it like this. I really liked it. He said, the only ability we have to offer God is availability. I know I have said it many times. I've heard others say it before I ever said it. And that is how God is not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. Of Putting your life in a place where you can be used of being available. We see that here with Peter. We can get so busy in life that we're never available for God to use us. 
You may even have the aptitude, but if you're not available, what does it matter? And so, again, how do we get available? I can think of Isaiah chapter 6 when the Lord is making that call. Who, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah is there. Lord, send me. He, he had the availability both in his spiritual walk, he had the availability with, Lord, whatever you need, I'm yours, I'll change whatever I need to. I think also when Christ was on the earth and the one man had come to him and said, Lord, I'll follow thee. He said, but for, or Lord told him, follow me. He said, he said, I'll follow, but first let me go and bury my father. And Christ told him, follow me, let the dead bury their dead. What he knew about that man was he knew that man's heart. He knew that man would always have a reason, always, why he could not currently serve God. Why God right now is just not practical. But Lord, with all good intent, as soon as this takes place, I'm yours. It is the group, it is the danger that you fall into. Uh, tomorrow is the day. And that day never, ever comes. Never. Because when that one reason, if it gets solved, you will find another. Because the, the, the true reason isn't that circumstance. It's something with you. That's what it is. If we're going to be used of God, we have to be available. We have, we have to see that, listen, Christ deserves to be above all in our life. Too often we only serve when it's convenient. Something else always seems to take the priority. We're seeing why the Lord used Peter. He was given opportunities of God. He was also available. But we also see another key in, throughout all the Word of God, this one. Humility. Humility. I'm going to look at two verses for this. Verse 34, both miracles, I want you to notice something. He said, Christ maketh thee whole. All right? Let's jump to verse number 40. Peter's getting ready to perform this miracle. But Peter put them all forth. Leave. He kneels down to pray. There's an element here that we see to this that is crucial if God is going to use us, and that is humility. Humility. When in the introduction I referred to the time when Peter had denied the Lord. One thing that hit him that night when their eyes locked after that cock crew and he denied him three times, this was this was so important in his life. At that moment, Peter was humbled. He was humbled. Do you know that's what the Lord, that was one of the biggest parts of his conversion that he needed, was to be humbled. Because God resisted the proud. Do you know that's not going to change? God will always resist the proud. But guess who he's going to draw near to? The humble. So think about the two miracles that we're looking at, what Peter did here. Number one, we learned this. He wasn't looking to show off, was he? He cleared the room. Everybody out. You see, with humility, you can do that. If humility is not in control, note the Lord knows, note, note the Lord knows, you want the room packed. You want it packed. You want people to see this gift that God has given you. Peter clears the room. Too often we only serve when the room is packed. So we see, 
in the first miracle, we see his humility demonstrating itself. He clears the room and he makes it very clear to that man. This is not of me. Peter learned that that night when he denied the Lord. This is never of me. I am nothing but dust. I am a sinner who has denied my Lord. I know who I am. And so how does he word the miracle? Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. It has nothing to do with me. It was God. That's part of humility of you recognizing, Lord, I know I can do nothing. I need this to be of you. He was humble. So we learn from that, he wasn't looking to take credit. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. He wasn't about self. He was about glorifying God. Humility is needed. Do you know that it's that humble spirit that also allowed him when he cleared the room out. So nobody's there. That's when he drops in praise. It was that humbleness of recognizing his incredible need of God to be able to serve him that led him first to pray. If you want to be used... Of course, we've got to be busy in the way, if you will, using the terminology from Genesis 24. So that we have the opportunities before us. We need to be available, but there's a character trait that needs to be present if God is going to use us, and that's humility. Humility. And then lastly here today, look at verse 43. You could miss how important this verse is, especially with what's getting ready to take place in chapter 10. It says, And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa. Now, this is where he stayed while he was there. With one Simon, a tanner. I, I, I've entitled this one flexibility. It doesn't quite fit. What I mean by that is, Peter broke cultural barriers. Prejudice. He stayed with a tanner. Peter grew up, he's a Jew. You don't stay with tanners. They're unclean. They're unclean. This man would not, among the Jewish synagogue of the area, would not have been popular. He messed with dead things. So we see Peter here, by his willingness to go and actually stay at the house of a tanner, you see him beginning to break down different cultural barriers. That's going to be important what the Lord is getting ready to ask of him in chapter 10. Remember when Jesus talked about the keys and giving them unto Peter? Really, you can see that. At Pentecost, he was the first one that preached to all, all, all the Jews that were there. That was Peter. Then when the Samaritans, they start to convert, who do they want there to say, this is it, this is real, this is genuine? They get Peter, they bring him to, they, and they bring him before Peter. And now, with the very first true Gentile conversion, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who's going to do it is going to be Peter, opening the door to all three. And we can see it breaking down, one, by him going to the Samaritans and him staying in this house of a tanner. If we're going to be successful in serving God, we've got to break down the different prejudice that will kill it. Listen, do you think that's hurt our nation a little bit in the last hundred years? Of course it has. Of course it has. I, 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 remember, I, I remember listening to a sermon 
Um, actually, where's Robert? Right? Lev Humphreys. He let me listen to it and I was preaching for him. By the man that you know well. And he was from Mississippi. And he said, he said, brother, you need to listen to this. I want you to listen to this. I put it in. This is an independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. I couldn't believe what I heard. Couldn't believe it. I have news for you. We all have the same blood. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was not a white European. You do know that, right? He didn't have long, stringy hair. Peter was willing to break down those cultural barriers that he grew up with. And the Lord was able to use him as a result. Now, the Lord for the next one is going to be huge for Peter. And that's going directly to a Gentile. And the Lord is going to perform, basically going to have a, a vision of the Lord to convince Peter, this is what you will do. So to be successful, we see several things here. One, we need to be in a place for those opportunities. That's in the way. That's going. Being, being involved. If you're involved, know what God's going to give you? Opportunities. For that to take place, there has to be a measure of availability in your life. Now, what will kill those? If there's no humility in place. There's no humility in place. And then as we go, there's different things that all of us, that the Lord has to change about us, the ways that we think that could hinder us from serving as we should. Breaking down different cultural barriers and different prejudices that can come into our life so that we can be effective with heads bowed and eyes closed.